1: To the Total Soccer Show's weekend review. On today's episode, we're looking back on a weekend where it was a no-go in the snow when West Ham didn't know how to put on a show, unlike Cancelo, <laughs> where Carrick had the tricks to stop Chelsea laying it on thick before Ralph unrex it where Bobby Wood did good as RSL did what you thought they could and where it was chilly in Philly where Nashville got the willies and their PKs were silly. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today is a man who spent over $100 on a Premier League all-weather ball that can't actually be seen in all-weather <laughs> weather conditions. Gray <Graham> Ruffin.
2: <laughs> Hello Ryan. I mean that ball wasn't designed for functionality, was it? So it's, it, it's not really all that surprising maybe they, they need to come up with one that doesn't have so many uh, pop art graphics on it and one that actually shows up in the snow
1: just just for clarity's clarity set, graham how much did you spend on that ball and how oh. much do, uh, are you regretting having seen it in action and how it may go down in history
2: uh i, I will just say i spent too much on that ball uh, <laughs> but it, it works very effectively in my office on the on the beige carpet that we have in my office i can see it on that
1: Well, I'm glad it can be seen in your office, Graham, maybe not during actual inclement weather, which is the intention for that ball, as (laughs) we saw on the Premier League uh, games over the weekend. By the way, Graham, uh, you told us before the show we're having quite a heated discussion about the Beatles. You've watched most of Get Back. Where do you find these hours in your weekend when you're not watching soccer to watch (laughs) eight hours of Beatles documentary? Please tell me.
2: Uh, late at night, double screening with MLS, I guess is 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 how I, how I fit it in. But yeah, I I, uh, I I was doubtful that I would watch all eight hours, but I definitely will now. There's it's it's fascinating. Like that's how I spent my weekend watching hours and hours of the Beatles talking gibberish to each other, which is basically what we do on this on this podcast, except none of us are coming up with uh, timeless pop anthems in between the Speak. gibberish. For yourself, Yeah, I was going
1: to say, <laughs> give it time, Graham. Give it time. Uh, well, uh, you may be uh, regretting your Premier League all-weather ball, Graham, but you're certainly not regretting your time spent watching the Beatles. Also joining us here on this podcast is a man who isn't used to snow, but is the polar opposite of Nashville in a penalty shootout. He's always on the mark. Joe Lowry, did I pull that one off? Maybe. I'm not sure. I-
3: I think you did, Ryan, mostly just because it was nice, and I'm going to take the compliment. Um, so going back real quick to, to how you introed Graham, mm. Graham, with that soccer ball, I found myself waiting at halftime for them to bring out the snowball. Like, like where is the <laughs> orange ball? I legitimately did not know until right now that that was the all-weather ball. Uh, I have major questions to direct to whoever is in charge of that whole thing.
1: Now, now I'm picturing, Joe, like an announcement, release the snowball as it comes onto the field and... Oh, and and, in a procession, that sounds wonderful. (laughs) I, I wish they would do that in future. But yeah, maybe back to the drawing board with that ball, as we will probably discuss later on. But rounding out our crew today is a man who's just like Sean Dyche, except he doesn't walk around in the snow in a shirt and he doesn't eat worms, Taylor Rockwell.
4: At least one of those statements is true. It's the worms one. I love me <laughs> some it. cold weather. Cold weather is my favorite. Uh, I was jealous of all of the snow on display this weekend. Hopeful that we get a little bit of that here in Virginia. Maybe not quite as much as you all got. Certainly not as much as Burnley got, uh, especially if there are fans traveling, which there were, mm. I think, from Texas to Burnley for a game for the first game ever. And yeah, then it was that. postponed and I felt so bad.
1: That's right, yeah. A couple from Dallas uh, travelled to Burnley uh, to watch the game, uh, which was postponed an hour before kickoff. off uh, Burnley found a way to be more interesting than playing by having their match called off uh, just before kickoff. Um, and we saw Sean Dyche out in the snow in his, in his shirt instead, but Harry Kane, Taylor, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, has offered to put them up in his house uh, the next time they come over, um, which is an interesting proposition, but I would have said to that couple, you know, fair play for travelling for all that time to go to watch a Premier League game, but Go to London. Don't go to Burnley, guys. Come on. (laughs) Hey, the heart wants what it wants. Loyalty and fandom are what they
4: are. I cannot imagine spending a weekend with Harry Kane because obviously there'd be like the global celebrity aspect of things, but also... Harry Kane seems like the type who like goes home and kind of like eats a sensible meal and watches a sensible program and then goes to bed. So I I wonder if it would just be this very tame, almost sort of like refreshing weekend as opposed to the lives of footballers drama behind the scenes sort of weekend.
1: Yeah, guys, come home with me. You can come come to my house. I'm going to go sit in this office in a very expensive gaming chair and play Call of Duty all night. Good night. (laughs) That's what it'll be pretty much. That was my best Harry Kane. That's all I got.
4: It's got to be deeper. He's got the deepness that makes it equally impossible to understand (laughs) quite what he's saying at any given moment.
2: (laughs) And and his brother will just be there as well. (laughs) That's
1: true.
4: (laughs) Better his brother than Eric Dyer's brother. I'll say that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, on today's show, we're going to be talking Premier League, La Liga, MLS, USL Championship match, a Copa Lipa, final, and much, 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 much more. But uh, T-Rock, today as we record, November 29th, a big day Mm. in the calendar.
4: It is indeed. It is International Daryl Grove Day. Uh, I don't think that's been made official, but I'm making it official because it would have been his birthday today so today november 29th international daryl grove day uh we commemorated it here in richmond this past weekend uh with a nice kick around with former teammates including those from the healing place the team that he and i ran together uh we had some friends uh turn up for that one and it was really nice to get a kick around for those who are new to the show daryl is uh our slash my late co-host he and i started the show together he passed away after a protracted uh I don't want to say battle because I think people surviving and dealing with cancer don't love that, uh, like, usage, but essentially uh, died of colon cancer, colorectal cancer. Uh, and we wanted to commemorate him on the show as well, not just in Richmond. Should note, uh, also at that game uh, was Dustin King, who runs Richmond Conexiones. He was awarded the inaugural Daryl Grove Community Outreach Award by the CVSA, our local amateur league. I'll put a link in the show notes to Richmond Conexiones for folks who want to learn more about them, potentially donate to a very worthwhile cause. That's one Daryl definitely would have supported. Uh, and I thought a lot about how we should commemorate him on this show. And we had some suggestions from people who wanted to kind of share their stories about what Daryl meant to them or about what Daryl meant to them as a host. And I think we can kind of combine those over maybe the next year and do that for year two. But being totally honest, I I didn't really want to spend my weekend like, sort of like mourning the loss of Daryl and thinking about what could have been and and the sort of the times we had in that way I wanted to remember more the moments that made the show what it is which to me is a dedication to covering soccer in an informed and helpful open way which I think we're going to do as this episode goes on and as we tend to do but also silliness and joy uh, because things don't have to be so serious so in honor of Daryl I'm going to do something he definitely did not like, which is spring a game on U3 without any notice. Uh (laughs) Uh, And we're going to play a round of the Wikipedia game right now. I'd like to bring it back more often. There are definitely some folks out there who are owed a game or two, but for today... It is one player the three of you will get to play. And the category is a player that I know all of you know. Uh, For people who are new to the Wikipedia game, I'm going to give you some clues. I will tell you the name, or not the name, the number of clubs that player played for. Uh, After those clues are given, we'll start with uh, Ryan. And Ryan can say, if he knows the player, he could say, I can name that player in zero clubs. If he doesn't, he could say nine clubs or eight clubs. And then the bidding will kind of go from there. Joe could say six. Graham could say five uh it's sort of a name that tune uh type situation or doug loves movies if people still listen to that podcast uh but we'll kind of figure it out as we go for people who've never played before but right now a player that all of you know here are some clues for you 62 goals at international level a lot more uh at club level so lots of goals in his career which is 11 clubs one of them three times that means that if you named that club three times you could go negative three from the jump He's won the league in Spain, Italy, the Netherlands, and France, and he's also won silverware in England, as well as two additional titles in Italy that no longer count. He is the only player to play in the Champions League with seven different clubs and the only player to score for six different clubs in the Champions League. 11 clubs, one of them three times, 62 goals at international level, a lot more at club level, one the league in Spain, Italy, the Netherlands and France, silverware in England, played in the Champions League a whole bunch of times. Ryan, let's start with you. 11 clubs. How many do you need to know to name this club?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I can figure out at least one of them from your clues, right. Taylor. Um, three. So Ryan needs three
4: clubs, and that would be his first club, his second club, and his third club. We'd go chronologically. We'll go to Joe. Joe, how many? Oh, no, we'll go to Graham. We'll go to Graham. Graham, Ryan needs three clubs. How many do you need to name this player?
2: Uh, (laughs) Ugh, Might as well go beg or
3: go home. One Uh club.
4: All right. So uh, Joe, Graham thinks he can get it
3: with one club. Can you get it with no clubs? Can you just straight up name that player? Um I would like to say that I can, but I'm pretty sure that I can't. uh What's the passing rule in this game, Taylor so Do you I win by default? You if, have
4: to challenge Graham to name that club or name that player with that one club, and if he can uh then he wins the point if he cannot Joe, then you would get the point
3: okay, and there's no situation where I bid like six and automatically win if Ryan and Graham both get it wrong. no. Dang. No, because okay. you would have
4: to go negative at this point. You'd have to name the player and, <laughs> and some of his clubs or just name the player.
3: Graham, I challenge you with one. Okay. You've done this to me, Graham. You've done this Graham, to me. I
4: feel like you could probably get it without the club, but I'm pretty sure you can definitely get it with the club because that player's <laughs> first club is Malmo. Okay. Oh, oh, that, we- oh. <laughs>
2: yep, that was what I was hoping it would be, and that would be the, the indicator that is my favorite player of all time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mr. Ibrahimovic. <laughs>
4: Uh, I did not know Billy Gilmore played for Malmo to start his career. If we're going with your fair player of all time, but that is correct. Graham Ruthven with the win, the first Wikipedia game win of 2021, maybe even of 2020, but in honor of International Daryl Grove uh, Day, Graham Ruthven, congratulations on your victory in an impromptu Wikipedia game that no one knew was coming, and I'm pretty sure everybody tolerated (laughs) it best.
1: Uh, Congratulations, Graham. That was a very enjoyable game. I'm annoyed I didn't get it now, because of course he he played for Milan three times, and it was the eventist clue that I got straight away. Um, That's very, very good. Let's play that more often. Why don't we do that, Taylor? I would like that very much. Um, uh, and I love that it is International Daryl Grove Day and we are celebrating Daryl today, as we do every day indeed. And as Taylor says, yeah, we'll boy. put the links in the show notes uh, to the um, uh, to the organisations uh, that he was mentioning there. Thank you very much. Woo! All right, why don't we mm-hmm. get to some Premier League, gentlemen. Liverpool beat their feeder team Southampton 4-0 with <laughs> Diogo Jota setting the tone after just two <laughs> minutes in that one. We had two of the greatest Premier League midfielders ever meeting as managers at Selhurst Park where Steven Gennard continued his continued his 100% win record with Aston Villa with a 2-1 win over Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. Newcastle, still rock bottom, no wins after losing their 11th straight game at the Emirates. Every single person who likes soccer saw that one coming, that result against Arsenal. Claudio Ranieri received a warm welcome back at Leicester but his Watford side suffered a 4-2 loss to the Foxes in the snow, couldn't see the ball. The game happened anyway. Uh, why don't we, gentlemen go to the City of Manchester Stadium it's not called that anymore the Etihad Man City against West Ham 2-1 to Man City this one Uh, once again in the snow at least for the first half City one point behind Chelsea in the lead in the Premier League they caught up a little bit with this result West Ham remaining in fourth equal on points with Arsenal the fourth place trophy is back hurrah Uh, Gundogan and Fernandinho uh, Taylor getting the goals in this one a late consolation from Lanzini he does love getting them denying Edison's 100th clean sheet in this one um, yeah did you see the game at all or the ball in it Taylor <laughs> mostly the second
4: half uh, when the ground crew came out and and made short work or semi short work that was uh, of that pitch it really was I mean,
3: satisfying oh my goodness I almost didn't want the second half yeah. to start because it was so satisfying <laughs>
4: uh, less impressive I'm glad everyone agrees
3: uh, since everyone has already kind of chimed
4: in about it I just want to be clear The all-weather ball, which Ryan introduced by saying that it was, I believe Graham defended as saying it was not designed for functionality. That is the one that's designed for inclement weather, correct? Correct. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure that that was as poor of a decision as I thought it was. Uh, I think West Ham did not make a poor decision in their approach to this game. I think being a bit more defensive against a Manchester City team that can be pretty comprehensively good, makes a lot of sense. And... Though I think they had their moments and they did sort of try to go Man City on occasion, the stats do not lie 32% possession for west ham i think xg of 0.21 joe i'm stealing your brand here uh, i think outshot about 20 to 5 or 19 to 5 something like that key chances big chances all of those favoring man city so in a way i think the scoreline at 2-0 was probably more reflective of the ga- of the way the game went though west ham were able to get that goal uh, late on for the 2-1 and i think david moyes afterwards talked about how Maybe there was an expectation that the snow would give West Ham an advantage, allow them to sort of make it uncomfortable, make it difficult for City to find a way through. And he argued that if anything, it went the opposite way, that it made yeah. West Ham more cautious and they set off and they were a bit more apprehensive about making mistakes and it allowed City to have a bit more license to play.
1: Uh, Graham, your thoughts on this game? Uh, maybe the midfield battle we had a uh, um, uh, Declan Rice getting a lot of plaudits for West Ham in yep. this one. Maybe, uh, well, almost certainly their best player on the field, but he was coming up against a decent um, opponent, wasn't he?
2: He was indeed, and and I thought that was a, a key battle for this for this match in the center of the pitch between Declan Rice, who arguably it's not ridiculous to say has been the maybe the best player in the Premier League this season. That he's been so good this season, and I didn't think he would ever be as good as he is now he he is exceeding my expectations by quite quite a bit i have to say but he came up against rodri in this match and uh, sam lee who writes for the athletic he wrote a piece on on rodri, uh, rodri after this game and i thought it was it was i thought it was a good pick out given what i saw from this match and as sam wrote rodri has had he's had better games this season but he's become a very consistent performer for City this season, and that has made a big difference to their midfield. Previously, last season and the season before, there were, there were questions about Rodri, whether he had the physicality to play in that role for Manchester City at the, in the, in the kind of base of midfield. Some said, and with a lot of justification, that he slowed down their, their possession play. And I just think he now seems to have a much better grasp of Uh, when to cover and when to press and when to stand off and I think he has a much better positional awareness and better relationships with those midfielders alongside him whether it's Gundogan or or Fernandinho or De Bruyne and um, I think he's got a a greater positional awareness now that allows him to cover the width of of the pitch. In Sam Lee's piece there's a a touch map, a touch graph um, from this match and you can see Kind of across the pitch, he he does cover from left to right, um, pretty comprehensively. And I and I thought this was a big test for him, given that as I say, he was up against Declan Rice, who for me is is the core of this West Ham team. And I I thought Rodri came out on top and and did what he needed to do. There was a a couple moments from Rice. There was a shot from him, I think, in the second half, which uh, forces a save from from Ederson. But generally speaking, I thought uh, City controlled the, the the center of of the pitch, and a lot of that was down to Rodri. I felt.
1: Yeah, uh, he had a very good game, as did many other players on City's, uh, City's team. Of course, Cancelo was very good. Okay, Gundogan was excellent in this game. Um, Joe, your thoughts on this one? It seems like West Ham are still very tricky opponents. We've got to give them credit for, for this match. Uh, but maybe lacked a bit of intensity that we've seen previously. Um, uh, Declan Rice, as I say, was a standout player for me. And when we look at Man City, Joe, this was a this was a depleted team. No, no KDB, no Foden, no Grealish here. On the bench, we had James McAtee and Cole Palmer. But Both 19 years old, I won't be playing the Wikipedia game trying to guess who they were, Um, but academy midfielders on the bench as well. But it still shows how much quality they have that they can, you know, miss big players and still get results like this.
3: It's incredible. This team is, uh, they are exactly what we expect them to be under Pep Guardiola at this point, right? They're second in the table, one point behind Chelsea. I don't think that will last long, right? They're they're just above Liverpool, who's on, on twenty eight points. City on twenty nine. Chelsea on thirty. I think it's going to end up being a race between City and Liverpool as the season progresses. And we kind of saw why, at least for City in this game, they're so good at creating chances. They're, they're really, really good at moving the ball from out to in. In this game, City used a ton of, of diagonal switches. A lot of them went from the middle of the field of the right side of the field, the right half space, over to Raheem Sterling on the left wing. And then Sterling could go 1v1 against a, a, a right back or, or against a right-sided midfielder for West Ham. But on the, on the first goal in this game, we saw a switch from the opposite side of the field. West Ham defending pretty narrow in this 4 4 one mid block And they, they dropped back, and they would seed space in front of their block, and Mikel Antonio would sort of run back and forth a little bit between the center backs. And they'd allow City to advance the ball, but they were really prioritizing blocking off the, the middle. One thing that I thought Declan Rice did really well, and Thomas Suchek as well, for the first 20 minutes or so of this game, is they were communicating so much with their back line and with their outside midfielders and with the front two saying, step here, move here, trying to block off access into City's midfielders. And, and they did that effectively for a while. Then they started getting overrun. But that first goal from Ilkay Gundogan comes in the 33rd minute. And it's, it's Laporte wide to Sterling on that left side. And then Cancelo hits this classic Cancelo right-footed switch over to Riyad Mahrez on the right. And at this point, Riyad Mahrez has a little bit of space to run into, and he, he pulls out this schross, uh, this shot cross, not really exactly sure what it was, but it gets the ball into the, the mixer and Gunawan finishes. And, and City are just so good at moving the ball from out to in. They're one of the dang, the most dangerous teams in the world with the ball out wide because they're a threat to move it from out to in. So, so West Ham, still a very quality team, top four, top five, and a lot of really important metrics in the Premier League this season. They just couldn't keep up with City, which is not uncommon at all. Joe, did you just invent a word, schross? Shrass, guys, I feel like that's something that, that other folks use. Maybe no one else actually uses that, like, like the word for a shot and a cross together. schros there's others, I'm sure. I like like You can mix those words in lots of ways. But yeah. Yeah. I, I,
1: I'm going to start using it as a time saver, if anything. Though. Thank <laughs> you very much for that one. Uh, Taylor, um, looking at the uh, whoscore.com ratings, Ilke Gundogan came out on top here with his goal and yeah. assist, playing a pretty important role in this game.
4: He's just very, very good, as is this entire Man City team. I'm not breaking any new ground when we talk about that, but with Gundogan, He's one of those players who you know is going to be in there. You maybe will forget at times that he is going to be a starter for this team, but I certainly forget how critical he is to the way they want to certainly build and defend, but definitely attack, and how aggressive he is with his runs into the box. I don't know how much we're going to talk about Chelsea versus Man United later on. We don't have to at all if we don't want to, but a lot of the criticism I've seen after that game was about Timo Werner sort of holding his runs and staying a little bit deeper trying to be that late arriving run or trying to shoot from 12 to 18 yards out and how much Chelsea need somebody crashing the box and making people uncomfortable. And that's Gundogan in this game. Every time City are within like maybe 30 yards of the opposition goal, if he is central and on the ball, if he's playing a a ball wide, he is then making an interior run. He's making an aggressive run towards the near post. He's trying to make that back line drop off a little bit more. If He's trying to find space or trying to open up space for other teammates. And oftentimes he ends up finding space for himself and getting a goal or creating something, not necessarily from nothing, but I think the way he sort of ghosts in, it makes me wonder if he's just not – a one of those like top of the radar top alert uh sort of goal scorers for man city and so people slack off a little bit and he seems to be the one that they definitely should not because I think he was a critical goal scorer for them last season, and seems like he will be again this year. And even if he's not, it seems like uh, Man City are capable of having lots of other people, people pop up when they need to, because they're just consistently very good. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Uh, Graham, I think you were making the point that like it's tough to find an angle on Manchester City yeah. because it's just like, yeah, they're just good. They just don't they're, really lose yeah. many games. I, I, I looked it up. I believe I'm correct in saying that since Pep took charge, they finished third, they've been champions, then they were champions again then they finished second then they were champions again so you don't even have that liverpool-esque oh they had a downturn season they had injuries now they found their way back it's just like nope the machine continues to operate pretty effective effectively and efficiently and they're right at the top of the table and will be challenging for the title at the end of the season it seems to be about like what we can say about man city most of the time
2: yeah, I've got to be honest. I find City a little bit boring, but because they're mm-hmm. boringly good, yeah. As as kind of you say, Taylor. Like I, I struggle my in my job. I have to come up with with angles for for articles and blogs, and I struggle to come up with with City angles because players come in and out of that team, but they they still have the same structure. They still play in the same game and play in the same way. And I think this game. Kind of, this was an illustration of how freakishly consistent City have become in the Premier League under Gardula. I know a lot is made of how Gardula is a bit of a Champions League curse, but he's the the complete opposite when it comes to domestic football, as you say, Taylor, like going through all the seasons. They're just so consistent. And this game, you know, it wasn't a great City performance. We've seen them play much better, even in the last few weeks. They were up against a team with genuine top four hopes. They were faced with blizzard conditions and a ball that didn't show up in it. And yet they still kind of like just strolled it. I know there's that, I know there's that stoppage time goal from Lanzini, but that felt very much like a consolation goal. They, they were in just control of this match and, and yeah, they're boringly good in my opinion.
1: Boringly good and on course to certainly challenge for the title with probably two other teams in this league. Man City, West Ham, they're wrapped up. When we come back after this break, we'll have a little chat about Chelsea and that team we said we wouldn't talk about, but we're going to just a little (sighs) bit. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. And also uh, Real Madrid Sevilla, MLS playoffs, and much, 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 much more coming after this break.
5: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
4: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
1: Total Soccer Show, we are back. Let's turn our attentions briefly to Chelsea 1, Manchester United 1. Jadon Sancho and Jorginho with the goals in this one. As I mentioned, Chelsea still top. They're clear of Man City by one point. Bit of debate in this one, Graham, about who picked the team. Yeah. And uh, certain Neville brothers having some arguments online about who did it. Did Ralph Ranick, who has now been confirmed as interim manager to the interim, to the interim, to the interim, Um, did he pick (laughs) it? Um, you know Ronaldo didn't start this game we had some different personnel a slight change in style what say you Graham Rutherford?
2: Uh, my my hunch is that Ranić definitely had an input on this and I'd, I'd even go as far as saying I suspect he was on the other end of uh, Darren Fletcher's earphone otherwise is he just <laughs> listening to a podcast or what What was is he listening to the the new Adele records like what what was going on there that was peculiar so <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as saying like Ranić Totally picked the team. I'm not saying Carrick was just a puppet, but I, th- I think it very much felt like a selection with Ronaldo dropped and Fernandes playing as the the kind of false nine um, up front. It, it felt like a selection that was geared towards him coming in this week with obviously his appointment now being confirmed.
1: Imagine, Graham, if it was your your interim manager and the biggest moment of your coaching career, and you have the person who's about to take over in an earphone. That's going to be undermining <laughs> you somewhat, isn't it?
2: Yeah, slightly, slightly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit uh, humiliating, I guess. And I, I, I wonder if Fletcher could have kind of pulled his jacket up slightly more to to hide the the earphone. You know how he used to do in class uh and in, in, in school oh well I used to do that anyway
4: <laughs> I'm I'm really into the idea now maybe maybe it's not Adele maybe it's just like a podcast that Fletcher was super into like maybe he just discovered cereal or or yeah. one of those and so <laughs> podcast, just, yeah. it's like like when I'm doing the dishes and my wife comes home and I'm like oh hey what's going on like sorry I was into my podcast zone and I just like to think that Darren Fletcher was sort of so focused on that that he was only partially focused on the game that seems far more likely than he was Uh, in conversation with the future interim, 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 interim manager.
1: (laughs) I think he's a Pod Save America guy. That's what I think, Taylor. Um, (laughs) What are your thoughts, Taylor, very briefly on the Man United situation? Uh, Are things going to get better now? Uh, What did you make of Ronaldo being dropped in this game? Or, you know, not starting, I should say. Uh, I think first to the game, I thought it was
4: interesting that it seems like Michael Carrick or Ralph Rangnick, whoever made the decision, has embraced the idea that, like, this is maybe a mid-table team right now, the way they're playing. So we're going to play the way a more defensive team would play against a team like Chelsea. And the stats from Man City-West Ham, very similar for uh, for Chelsea-Man United. Uh, Chelsea with 66% of possession, 2.51xg, 24 total shots, 505 accurate passes, Most of those more than doubling whatever Manchester United were able to offer. I think United only had three shots, uh, so one goal from three shots, not so bad. One goal from 24 shots for Chelsea, probably more frustrating for them. But I think the game plan made sense when you look at what the season has been for Manchester United. But simultaneously for a club that prioritized playing free-flowing attacking soccer and attack, attack, attack and score goals uh none of those numbers indicate that this is a team that has figured things out it feels like a team that uh remains in damage control and so to the appointment of Rangnick i think it's about as smart of a decision as they could have made and i mm-hmm. saw the joke account linking them to Gattuso and that felt like not a good <laughs> idea uh the Uh, Says who? I I think that would have been a great idea. (laughs) Yes. If you want to see a club fully implode, that would have been a great idea. And there was other names uh, that they were linked with that I don't think would have been as... Just strong of names. And I think at this point they couldn't have gone with a former player because of the way things worked out with Solskjaer. So I think to getting Ronnick on six months with the advisory role behind it, we don't know what that role will be. And if it will actually be a thing where he's helping pick the next manager and helping define their style of play. Or if that's just a thing they had to give him to give him the money that would be required for him to take a six-month gig. I'm, I'm hoping, hoping what's it is. To your
2: phone. What's that? Everyone's going to have an earful. Yeah, exactly. For those exactly. two I years. Go. I like it.
4: No, but I mean, I mean, Graham, I'll, I'll turn that one to you. Do you feel like this is an appointment where they will have him coach for six months and then he will be given authority to make bigger decisions that will shape the, the club? Or do you think this is six months and then on your way we'll bring in Potcher, another kind of big name yeah. to figure out the vision going forward?
2: Well, I think Pochettino's the big unknown because it seems like, and I'm just going on what's been reported and mm-hmm. the Athletic's been great with a lot of with what they've reported, but it does seem like Manchester United have given Ranić a lot of control, which isn't too surprising because I don't think he takes this job without yeah. that those assurances. It seems like John Murtaugh, who I've previously mentioned on this podcast, he he seems to have a clue. He seems to at least have s- something about him. He know, He's spent a lot of time traveling around Europe, speaking to football people. He was the guy who wanted badly to bring in Varane and did the deal very quickly. He's the guy who seems to have pushed for Ranić. He's the guy who's quoted on the, on the press release about Ranić, not Ed Woodward. And so it, it feels like Ranić and, and Murtaugh are going to be like a, a team after, um, after this season. But it is going to be interesting with what happens with Pochettino, because does Ranić drive the team at the club in a different direction? And there's, is there someone that he would prefer? Would Pochettino come in? And I think he, it would, would be quite a decent fit, actually, if Ranić put the principles in place and then Pochettino took over. But... My, I, I think I'm always suspect with my United whether they're actually going to concede any control, uh, and whether they'll get to the end of the season and they'll go, ah, actually no, we're taking that control, we're taking that power back off you, Ralph Ranick, So I'm yeah. still suspicious slightly. As am I, but I think it
4: is. I but I would I would genuinely hope that they would give Ragnick a lot more authority for these six months and then beyond, because like, with our conversation we just had about Rodri, Rodri is a player who comes in. There's a lot of hype about him, but simultaneously it's another holding midfielder. Is that what City need? And then he has struggles early on, and it's not quite the way – it's not going as smoothly. And I think what ended up happening is – Pep is there. There's going to be stability. They're going to give him opportunities to kind of grow into the system, learn the system, learn how to function within it. He's going to be spelled by Fernandinho and then sort of become Fernandinho's understudy to then become the lead role there. And so there's consistency in the minutes he's getting, but also consistency in the club, allowing him to sort of develop into the player he is now. And I would look at somebody like, say, Fred at Manchester United, who continues to get minutes, but I would say because there's not a ton of stability, because the system isn't very Consistent From one game to the next, you don't have that same level of growth. And I think with a person, albeit for six months in charge, who then has two years at a minimum to shape the way the club is going to play and grow, I think that does bring you some stability to then build off of it gives you more of a base. And so I hope that it is a longer term deal with actual significance behind it.
1: Um, My uh, stop talking about Man United alarm is going off quite a bit, but I'll just add one small (laughs) point. Um, If I were Ralph Rangnick and were were taking charge now or maybe taking a different kind of role in the summer, I would make one stipulation and that would be to not have Sir Alex Ferguson at games and not have his spectre um, over the team. I know it's controversial. You can't tell a legend not to come to the games, but my point being, Taylor, that I think he's put a lot of undue pressure on the previous regimes. And I think that, um, you know, trying to live up to him and the way he's uh, uh, reported that he's sort of shadow coaching the team as well with his comments in the press and whatnot. So I think uh, a team that doesn't want to look back and wants to look forward might need to address that. Well, so I go back to
4: when Moyes is first appointed, and I recall, I remember it being that Stocks Ferguson deliberately stepped away and wasn't there as much because he didn't want that pressure to be on Moyes, who was the person that he thought should take over. And then he starts to come back more and more, and I wonder if maybe that comes at a point when he thinks, like, all right, well, stepping away didn't help, so now I'm going to be even more visible. And then I think that grows under Ole, who I think knows that with Fergie there, you get the backing of him, who I I think he does still have say in the way the club runs, and no one is ever going to say, like, no, I'm turning down a meeting with Fergie. So I think that to me explains a lot of why he has increased involvement under Solskjaer because Solskjaer, I think, needs that involvement, needs that backing, needs someone to kind of talk to about what should we do or how should we do it. But I agree with you that I think if we're going to see a big change in the way Manchester United operate, I think it has to be moves away from the minds and names that got you to this position and more so, where can you go from here? How do you kind of uh, grow and develop? And I do think Rangnick gives them that opportunity. I am all aboard that appointment. I look forward to being uh sort of destroyed by my own hope that's what manchester united tend to do but for now i'm optimistic fellas i'm optimistic
1: yeah it's difficult to get a club that does like looking backwards has fans that sings uh, songs about george best player who hasn't played for them for 50 years hey. so try and look forward and hey. you know not look at not dwell on the past too much but hey taylor we can try and move forward right. you're rules. still better
2: about mk dons that happened 20 years ago <laughs>
1: La Liga. Let's move on, gents. Uh, Barcelona <laughs> earned the 3 1 win uh, for Xavi at Villarreal. Uh, Frankie de Jong, Memphis, and Coutinho in injury time getting a penalty there. Philippe Coutinho with a goal. Wonderful stuff. Barcelona up to seventh and Xavi uh, undefeated in his role thus far. Uh, Atleti, Atletico Madrid kept up with the pack with a 4 1 win at Cadiz. But uh, why don't we quickly uh, turn our attentions to Real Madrid 2 Sevilla 1, first versus second in the Liga here. Both had the opportunity to go top with this one. A- Comeback win for Real Madrid here, Graham, keeping their unbeaten home record going back to uh, January in the in the league. That is, uh, Sevilla taking the lead here with Rafamir Mir getting a free header with. Like no zonal marking, yeah. it seemed to be like it's the opposite. Whatever the opposite of zonal marking is, uh, no zones being marked. Uh, Big Benz, uh, B- uh, Karim Benzema getting the equalizer, catching a rebound off a brilliant shot from uh, Ed Emilitao, who in my notes is autocorrected to Militia, which is great. Um, Graham, your <laughs> thoughts on this one and uh, how, it, how it played out. And Vinicius, of course, uh, being very, 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 very good in this one.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a whole podcast section, by the way, in auto football autocorrects, so Arson Wenger for me becomes Arlene Wenger, uh, which is quite amazing. But what did you say it was? Militia. Ryan? Militia. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, most of my thoughts about this this game are actually related to Sevilla because I, I'm so disappointed in them uh, after this match. You know, this performance and result kind of encapsulated why they have been so far been unable to take that final step under Lopetegui. This game was given the big build-up, uh, build, build rightly so. First versus second, as you said. They're the winner, for, winner, finishes the night, top of La Liga. Sevilla were in good form, confidence high. They, they beat uh, Wolfsburg in the Champions League during the week. And um, they were by far the better team in the first half. Not only did they control possession, they created loads of chances. So you mentioned they're the Rafa Mir... Header from a corner kick after 12 minutes, as you say, no marking at all from, from Real Madrid. Whatever they were trying, it didn't work. And then moments later, he has two glorious chances back-to-back to score another. He has one shot off the line. I think it was uh, David Alaba that's back on the line clearing it. And then there's another one, which is a fantastic save by uh, by Courtois. And um, this was a chance for Sevilla to really put their, their foot down on the throat of Real Madrid, but they didn't. Um, And they never do in these sort of situations. Um, Dermot Corrigan was tweeting uh, after the game that it's 12 years since Sevilla won away at Real Madrid, Barcelona or Atletico Madrid. And that's 37 games. And they're not going to win a La Liga title with that sort of record. And everything, the way that they conceded so much in the second half of this match was really disappointing. The, the, The match pivoted on the changes that Lopetegui made in the second half, most notably, I thought, his decision to take off Rakitic and put on Thomas Delaney um, was was really the point that things changed for Sevilla. Rakitic, as we know, he's, he's a player who likes to make late runs into the box, he carries a goal threat, he supports the attack, and he'd been doing that really well in this match. Real Madrid struggled to get a grip of him, and Tony Kroos and... And Modric and Casemiro weren't really controlling the game in the, in the way that they normally do. Delaney, however, is not that kind of player at all. And as soon as he came on, Sevilla got deeper and Cross and Modric started to control things again. And uh, the final 20 minutes of this match demonstrated why it's so dangerous for a team to try and play for a draw. Because Sevilla just invited far too much pressure on top of themselves. Whereas if I feel like if they just played their their normal game, they would have stood a better chance of actually getting a result from this match. So... Yeah, disappointing from my perspective because I want to see more teams challenging. You know, Barcelona don't seem to be there this season. It seems to be between the two Madrid clubs. So I would like to see a Sevilla or Real Sociedad actually mount a title challenge, but this match kind of just proved to me that I, I don't think. When push comes to shove, Sevilla might be there or thereabouts in the mix, but I, I just struggle to envisage them finishing top this season.
1: Taylor, do you remember Eden Nazar, that soccer player? No. Um, I know his him? brothers.
4: I know his brother pretty
1: well. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, he's related to Thorgan. Yeah. Um, it seems like Vinicius Junior might have ended his career somewhat. <laughs> I would say possible? he ended
4: his Real Madrid career for sure, and uh, I think did that uh, prior to this game, but this game certainly not helping Aiden Hazard get back into the team, Vinny Jr., with the, uh, the, the late winner. I guess, yeah, late winner. Um, and I, I think was excellent throughout, and I think showed that sort of the confidence and the swagger that we know Real Madrid are going to have in pretty much every game. And Kareem Benzema always has that. Asensio doesn't always have that, but in this game I thought looked pretty lively as well and has the shot go just wide, like cutting inside off of a great one-time ball from Casemiro. And I think that front line looking pretty, pretty good. And I agree with Graham then that for Sevilla to sort of sit off and try to frustrate and be more defensive, I think you can do that if you're actually frustrating and making lives more difficult. But for Madrid, it seemed like they just sort of invited... This juggernaut's awake, wake up and have some coffee and and get just kind of get the day started and then slowly get into the game. And then eventually I feel like that opens doors for Madrid to eventually find a way through, which they do. And so you have to sort of really stymie them, really frustrate to then be able to get them to overcommit and hit on the break. And it felt like it just allowed Madrid some time to get their footing and build into the game and grow into the game. And eventually they get the win.
1: Uh, Joe, uh, one of my favourite things in soccer happened in this, a league game in which the keeper comes up at the end to try and get a point. Um, Bono hasn't been that forward since he put an album on all our iTunes, (laughs) which I realise is a reference was probably before you were born. But um, hey-ho, Joe, what
3: did you make (laughs) of this one? Ryan, I was just counting down the minutes until you made a Bono pun, so that's, that's was, good work. Last yeah. time, I think, happened when we were talking about Toronto FC, way back in CONCACAF Champions League. <laughs> it's been too long. We need to get more of those moving. Um, Ryan, I'm not going to lie, I don't remember what you asked me because I was too caught up in the Bono pun. <laughs>
1: I'm just gonna say, what did you think of the game? All I all I gave you, Joe, was the Bono pun.
3: Okay, excellent. Just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. We are we are good to go, Graham. I agree with you on some of your frustrations regarding Sevilla and their inability to to capitalize on the chances they created. And for me, it's honestly more to do with the lack of chances that they created, which is something Taylor, I think, you spoke a little bit about. But generally speaking, man, I was impressed by the Sevilla team. There is another reality. In which the goalkeeper error doesn't happen, and, and he actually parries that shot wide of the frame, and Benzema doesn't score that first goal, which was by far Real Madrid's best chance in this game, by far, and it was just handed to them on a silver platter. And then there's a reality where Vinicius Junior doesn't cut inside and score that absolute world of, of a reverse Arjen Robin from that left side, right? So this is this was there for Sevilla. And I, I guess I, I find myself more encouraged by that than discouraged. When you look at the pieces they have and how well they're playing with the ball under Lopetegui, they move the ball not so well to create chances right now, or at least not in this game. They're, they're top five-ish in La Liga in XG per 90. But, man, with the way they use the ball to prevent the opposition from even getting a chance to do anything. For the vast majority of this game, Real Madrid had had nothing, right? They had nothing because Sevilla were so strong on the ball and it really did take that shift. Graham, you started talking about it with Thomas Delaney coming on and that did sort of signify Real Madrid taking the game a bit more and, and holding the ball and pressing. And that was the thing, I think, for me more than anything else. They started pressing more in the last 10, 15 minutes of this game than I noticed them doing at all before in this match. And eventually it, it works for them and they string together enough moments and have some individual moments of brilliance from Vinicius Jr. and, and that's the game. But this one for Sevilla, I feel like was there. And I, I do think this team might have what it takes to mount a bit of a title challenge in La Liga or at least be you know firmly in that top three, top four Champions League yeah, spots. I, I
2: definitely think they'll be in they'll be in the mix. I think they'll finish top three. Um I just when when it comes to it, Sevilla just have that kind of uh sorry Spurs fans, but that sort of Spurs the equality where they just they just never quite get the job done. And there was a point just before this before the equalizer in this game, I remember thinking it to myself, I might have done it in my live comment might have said it in my live commentary, but I just couldn't envisage how Real Madrid were going to win this game. Because as you, say, as you say, Joel, they weren't getting anywhere near Sevilla. Real Madrid were offering nothing in this match for the first 30 minutes because Sevilla were just controlling possession. Um, they were 1-0 up. They didn't need to chase anything. And for me, having been in that position of strength, it is on Sevilla that they allowed that to slip. I, I saw more from Sevilla in terms of the way that they, their performance declined um, as a factor of why this match changed, than Real Madrid picking up their performance, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, it was it's on severe for me that they yeah. lost they lost this match,
4: exemplified for me by the, the goal itself, the uh, the equalizer for Benzema. It's Bono failing to deal with a shot from Eder Militao from maybe thirty five to forty yards out, and watching it again and again and again, I think Bono is. Caught of two minds. I think initially he's gonna try to just kind of parry it wide. Then I think last minute thinks I could catch this ball. And so instead of kind of getting the wrists locked the way he needs to to punch it clear or push it clear, he's going for more of a catch. And I think it's kind of a last-minute choice. I think maybe it's an attempt to be like, ha, your shots do nothing. I will catch this ball. And instead he spills it for Benzema, uh, I think spills it off the post for Benzema to tap in. And That to me was a good representation of Sevilla in this game, that they can dictate play and they can sort of be the dominant team for those opening 30 minutes. But one mistake and one sort of like lack of intensity, loss of intensity backing off a bit invites Madrid in and then they will take those opportunities and find a way to make something happen. And that's exactly what they did. So I hope that it remains a title challenge. I hope we get a good race, but it does feel like this was a a pretty big win from Madrid and a potential statement win at that in the way they were able to fight back despite being not comprehensively impressive.
1: Indeed. Taylor, when describing that uh, Benzema equaliser, it took most of my willpower not to interject that Bono was stuck in a moment that he couldn't get out of when he was trying to save that shot. Uh, we've got plenty to get through uh, in part three of this podcast, Jets. So we're going to look at the rest of Europe. We're going to uh, go to the USL Championship file and we'll talk about MLS and the Copa Libertadores, all coming shortly.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Total Soccer Show. We are back in League R oh, this weekend. Leo Messi set up all three goals as PSG beat ten-man Saint Etienne 3-1. They were one-nil down in that one. Sergio Ramos made his debut. He finally played for them. Hurrah! Uh, Neymar sustaining a possible ankle injury. Less hurrah there. He was taken off on a stretcher. Uh, Taylor, how long is out for a few weeks? If my memory serves. Uh, yes. And I believe uh, the reporting
4: was that his sister's birthday is in March. So this ah. is not an attempt to get out and go uh, hang out with family and get a bit of an extended vacation. This is instead a legitimate injury. It looks like it will be yeah, six weeks. Um, And I think uh, Neymar, no stranger to pretty aggressive uh, industrial agricultural, I think is what uh, you Brits like to call those types of challenges. <laughs> but it will keep him out and maybe is a potential opportunity for Pochettino to change things up, experiment a bit more when he has a player. One few... Fewer sort of must-play-at-all-times players in that lineup. It allows him to have a bit more freedom (laughs) to move people around to not have, say, three attackers who won't be doing any defending, but instead have two attackers who won't be doing Mm. any defending instead
1: of that. Yeah, and there is always a carnival or a Neymar sister's birthday around of the course, corner, as you say. Of course, so um, of who knows what's going on there? Serie A, Juventus look rubbish against Chelsea in midweek. They were rubbish again at the weekend. They lost 1-0 to Atalanta with a result that leaves them in eighth place. Uh, that's almost as disappointing, Graham, as Weston McKenney trying to tell Giorgio Chiellini that he should put <laughs> ranch on his pizza. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that happened. Uh, that We all saw that from the uh, All or Nothing Juventus documentary. Lesson about that, the better. Lazio, meanwhile, had their butts handed to them at Napoli with a 4-0 loss that keeps Neapolitans at the top of Serie A. At that game, they unveiled a lovely statue of Maradona in the Stadio Maradona. Um, and they had a Maradona on their shirts, Graham. Did you see that? They're marking his death, uh, which is uh, a somewhat morbid thing to do, but uh, they had some nice shirts, Graham.
2: I, I did see the shirts, yeah. And, um, they're certainly notable. I'm not sure if that's a particularly great design, but I think Napoli as well are having about a hundred different shirts this season. They had a Halloween shirt, they've had a Maradona shirt. I, I'm not totally sure what's. Going yeah. on there
1: they've been talking to Venezia haven't they uh, Milan <laughs> slipped to uh, their second successive defeat uh, to Sosuolo they were that was at the Sincere they lost 3-1 to Sosuolo in that one yikes for Milan there uh, in the Bundesliga Erling Haaland marked his comeback from injury with a second half volley as Borussia Dortmund came back from a goal down to beat Wolfsburg 3-1 they stay within a point of the Bundesliga leaders by Munich Erling Haaland becoming the youngest and quickest player to hit 50 Bundesliga goals with that one uh, nice back Bounce back for Dortmund after being knocked out of the Champions League uh, last week while uh, all of you were all too busy thinking about eating turkey or the preparations for the turkey. Borussia Dortmund not having a good time last week. But Bayern Munich, they uh, stayed top. They booked a 1 0 home win over Amelia Bielefeld. Uh, A slightly odd story, gents, from the Portuguese top flight from uh, Belenenses versus Benfica. This one in the Portuguese top flight, as I say, was abandoned in the second half. There was a COVID outbreak uh, among Belenenses' squad. Thirteen players were out, all reportedly out with the new Omicron variant, which is slightly terrifying. Uh, Belenenses started the game with nine players, including two goalkeepers. One of their goalkeepers played in midfield for this one. Somehow the Portuguese authorities still let this game go uh, ahead uh, Benfica was 7-0 up at half time Graham and they, they uh, started off with an own goal quite early on Uh Beninets has come out in the second half with only seven players uh, They once the kickoff happened one of their players I think it was the second goalkeeper dropped to the ground conveniently with injury match abandoned because <laughs> they were down to six uh, a bit of a mess Graham
2: yeah, I'm. I'm just amazed they didn't think of the whole injury ploy before the, the second half. Yeah. I mean, when, once you concede the first goal after what was a, a, a matter of seconds, uh, that's maybe when you you pull that trick. But a, a, a goalkeeper midfield, I just hope that. Uh, No one tells Pep Guardiola because that is what he's been trending towards for years.
1: (laughs) It's the next evolution. You're quite right. Um, Over uh, in the North American continent, meanwhile, Joseph Lowry, did you catch the USL Championship final? Tampa Bay Rowdies won Orange County SC 3. What? First ever USL title for Orange County. They're the end of the Rowdies dominance uh, of this particular competition. Joe, what did you make of it?
3: What a win for Orange County. Three goals in the first half. Ronaldo Damas coming up with a brace in this game. He gets the first two goals for Orange County. This was an upset. Tampa Bay Rowdies had the most points in the regular season in the USL championship and Orange County finished second in their division behind Phoenix rising. USL uh, championship had a division like structure for their regular season this year to help out with travel in, in this particular time period. Orange County won their last two playoff games in penalties. So they were a bit fortunate to make it this far. They they're here on the back of some great goal, goalkeeping and some, some quality attacking as well. Good defensive group uh, in Orange County too. But man, Tampa Bay came out in this one, controlling possession in their back three. Really good team under Neil Collins. They've been a threat in in the USL Championship for quite a while now. They have really quality players. They have a defined way of playing. They like to use the ball. They have quality out wide and in the center. And they're actually doing quite well to start this one. They they earn a penalty in the 18th minute. And then Sebastian Guanzotti, who is a, a really strong goal scorer, steps up, takes it. Orange County save it. And if that penalty goes in, this game looks a little bit different, but it doesn't go in. Orange County possess a little bit after that. They still attack in transition, and then the goals start coming in. Damas gets his first one after just a mistake in the back from Tampa Bay. Then the second goal comes in the 38th minute from Damas. Good movement by him in the box by the Haitian International to put Orange County up by two at that point. It's not looking so good for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. And then uh, Miko Kuningas scores a third goal in an absolute beauty of a free kick in the 45th minute, right before halftime. Tampa Bay and Neil Collins down 3 0 at the half. And, and the game was pretty much over at that point. They do pull one back in the second half. But man, Tampa Bay, by a lot of the numbers and and by some of the possession sequences they were putting together, look to have a pretty strong claim to win this game. But playoff soccer is notoriously unpredictable. And uh, Orange County had those individual moments and the individual quality to get this thing done. Congrats to them.
1: Congrats to them indeed. And as you say, Joseph, playoff soccer, very unpredictable beast, which takes us to the MLS Conference semi-finals. We're going to go a bit deeper on this with a, a dedicated show later in the week, so watch out uh, for that in your feed, listener. But just a quick uh, recap of the games that happened over the weekend. Uh, Taylor, why don't we start in the West? Sporting Kansas City 1, Rail Salt Lake 2. Rail Salt Lake doing it again. They've stunned KC with a comeback win here to move into the conference final. Um, What did you make of this one? Taylor Rockwell and RSL's against the odds run to the final here. Lest we forget, they scraped it in on decision day and they made it to this game without a shot in their previous one.
4: I think both of these games could have used a little more Ronaldo Damas, who gets that brace, as Joe, Joe said, was a Dallas player, uh was not signed in by them. I, we did have a conversation about that. Jeff Reuter we, we reached out to saying because Dallas weren't sure about if he fit their system long term and also took up an international spot. Maybe he could take up one for RSL or Nashville to get them some goals. I did think... Uh, at one point, almost tweeted, we're destined for an RSL Nashville final. Uh, we will not end up getting that. We'll we'll talk more about that Philly game versus Nashville in a second. But yeah, RSL just seemed like they are going to make it incredibly difficult for teams to find a way through. And even when they do, if they don't kind of continue to be aggressive in their approach, I think it allows RSL to get more confident and get more belief. And in this game, to some extent, uh, Sporting KC going up 1-0 fairly early could have been the sort of straw that broke the camel's back. It could have been this overwhelming thing that doesn't let RSL get out and doesn't let them get comfortable, and they end up just trying to like defend a 1-0 loss, essentially. But I think uh, sporting, for... Any number of reasons, I think this is probably a hindsight 2020 sort of situation, decide to sit off a bit more. At least to my mind, they started to sit off a bit more, let RSL have more of the ball. And I think it's that age-old idea of this team has to get a goal. We can sit back a little bit. We can invite that. Then we can sort of try to pounce on them and find those little areas where we can create sort of high-intensity, high-pressing defensive situations, win the ball back. Then we'll counter. Then we'll get another but when you aren't winning the ball back, when you aren't being that high intensity, you just let RSL have more of the ball, have more like time to grow into the game. And when it's playoffs, when it's 1-0 down, and when they're sort of already playing with house money, I don't think... There is that pressure, that intensity of, uh-oh, we've got to find a way to make something happen. I think there is a, hey, look at us getting chances. Hey, we're building into this one. I contrast it with what we saw from the Seattle game, where RSL were happy to be very defensive and not really venture out that much. I think for them to be given time to go at uh, SKC and get shots and get some passes and make sporting uncomfortable, I think that allowed RSL back into this game. And so in the end, I think it's a credit to Master Reine and co. That they get the win, but I think they're facilitated by some of Peter Vermes's game plan,
1: and now I'm afraid that he's going to hunt me down and beat me up for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> RSL will face Portland uh, in the conference final this coming weekend. Joseph Lowry on the Twitters saying uh, one of RSL seventh seed or Portland fourth seed will be in MLS Cup. The top three seeds in the West are done. Playoffs are wild, Joe.
3: It's true. They're insane, right? This is not... If anybody predicted this, they were predicting it as a meme, right? Because I just I cannot accept the fact that someone could have called this actually believe actually believing it would happen. But here we are. RSL have leaned fully into the underdog role at this point. David Ochoa, after the game, he had a, I don't Instagram live video. I'm not sure. yeah Instagram live video that was that was posted a little bit on Twitter, and uh, he said MLS needs to call Pepe and tell him that they need to give the award back. Um, hmm. And David Ochoa continues to be the gift that keeps on giving because he is just <laughs> full of entertainment. But man, like no one, no one expected this. I didn't expect this. And, and again, playoffs are not this indication of who the best teams are, but they're the teams that are getting hot and having good fortune at the right time. And RSL certainly fit into that category.
1: Well, congrats to RSL. Meanwhile, in the East, we had Philadelphia 1, Nashville 1 with the Union going through on penalties to their first ever conference final. Uh, Graham, did you catch the penalty shootout here? I think Nashville might need to practice their PKs for next season.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I'm still thinking about how bad those penalties from Nashville were. Um, OK, the first two you could say are, are uh, good saves by, by Blake, but the final two, particularly the one from from Walker Zimmerman, Yikes. Uh, yeah, just not, not a good set of penalties. I think it's the worst set of penalties I've ever seen in a shootout, quite frankly. <laughs> I saw a tweet that was brought up again that was from before the playoffs, and it was pointed out that Nashville had the lowest number of penalty takers from across the regular season. Well, you could tell in this match. Yeah,
1: I I did enjoy Walker Zimmerman staring at the spot after he would blasted it into Rosie as well. That was a it's always a good reaction to do that, and then him slowly walking away as everyone was celebrating on the penalty spot from the opposing team. Um, Joe, your thoughts on Phillies so far? Uh, how how well they've done this season, considering like who they lost in the offseason and you know the, the DP situation. They're still performing very well, building on that Supporters Shield um and and the Champions League performance um that they had. Pretty Obviously.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is this has been a great year for Philly. They fell off from their Supporter Shield pace last year, and they, they fell off from that pace this year, from, from what they did last year. But they've had to balance more this year than they did last year. They made a deep run in the CONCACAF Champions League, and a lot of teams that are involved in multiple tournaments at the same time in Major League Soccer tend to fall off, ultimately, in both of them. And the union have managed to stay alive in MLS. They get through that roller derby, uh, insane back-and-forth long ball battle in the first round against the New York Red Bulls with a goal from, from Jakob Gleznis, And then in this one, I think they were the better team, really, for a lot of this game. Not a ton of chances in the first half, and they go down after Hani Mukhtar scores a great header after uh, even a great sequence of possession from Nashville in the first half. And Philly sneak a goal in right before halftime on a set piece, which is Nashville's tonight, and has been for a good chunk of this season. Philly get on the board. Jim Curtin calls it basically a nil-nil game at halftime because that's what it is when it's still tied. And the Union break into the second half, and it doesn't come immediately, but they start to chip some balls over the back line for Nashville. They start to create some chances. Sergio Santos misses a big one uh, in the second half. A number of other players have at least semi-good looks at goal. They can't win it, goes to extra time. Nobody wins it in extra time. And this is why you pay Andre Blake to be your team's goalkeeper, because he comes up absolutely huge in the penalty kick shootout. And he saves Hani Mukhtar's penalty, that's the first one, saves Annabelle Godoy's penalty, and then Alex Buell and Walker Zimmerman miss in almost the exact same spot, which we, uh, we mentioned some of Nashville's penalty kick errors earlier. But uh, who knows if the Union win this game without Andre Blake's contributions in, in regulation, and certainly his contributions in this penalty kick shootout. He was absolutely massive.
1: Indeed. Congrats to the Union in this one. And congrats to Nashville in their sophomore season doing yes. pretty well before yes. they switch uh, conferences for next season as well. Um, the Union will face the winner of New England and NYCFC. That game is on Tuesday, I think. Yes. Um, so Joe, is this right? If NYCFC win that, MLS Cup is going to be played on a baseball field.
3: Uh, I, believe, I believe so. I, I'm torn between wanting that to happen so badly and just really, really not wanting that to happen. Um, but we'll see, guys. We'll see.
1: I don't want that to happen very
2: much.
3: <laughs> hey, but Ryan, there's a hard rock cafe at Yankee Stadium,
2: so uh, that's good news for you. <laughs> there is.
1: It cost me twenty dollars to get the burger there last time I was there, Graham. It, I paid a premium, but it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. Um, Graham uh, at the weekend trying to shame me for going to the hard rock cafe in Florence, but uh, I—you I, got
2: unacceptable.
1: You got to love me for who I am, Graham. It's who I am. Okay. Is there a lot I, of I hard do. rocking this...
2: in Florence?
1: I mean, it's not a lot of hard rocking in the Hard Rock Cafe if you look around at the memorabilia on the walls, to be fair, Taylor.
2: Hard floors. Fair.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, have you just burned me for breaking my phone screen there as well, Graham? Goodness me. Yes. Firing the shots left, <laughs> right, and center. My, trip, my weekend trip was mixed, and I did break my phone. Thank you very much for reminding me. <laughs> oh, but at least you bad. got that $20 mediocre hamburger oh man the tupelo chicken tenders for yeah 19 dollars were wonderful do you know what they actually had they had a thanksgiving dinner there and i didn't really get a proper one here i tried my best uh on thanksgiving here in italy Ryan, you're making
2: me so sad <laughs> florence is the best food city in the world i mean yeah
1: it was good we had some pasta another day graham it was all right Calm it was down. in
4: this can it had this guy chef by on it i don't know what to make of that
1: Oh, I mean I was just glad the, the hotel had a microwave frankly Taylor it was uh, it, it really made my night um, <laughs> let's talk about the uh, Copa Libertadores final which took place over the weekend this is South America's equivalent of the Champions League final the trophy is massive it's like the Stanley Cup that always entertains me as does the um, the TV uh, production's constant fascination with showing the fans for most of the game instead mm-hmm. of the game uh, Palmeiras uh, winning this one uh, for the second year in a row an extra time goal from Deverson securing a 2-1 win over Flamengo a pretty decent final in this one Graham Deverson aside from his goal had quite an entertaining moment with the referee that
2: was that was the best moment of the whole game uh, when late, late on in the match he hits the ground after being pushed by the referee obviously the push is, is uh, not much to speak of and I'm, I'm unsure whether he realises that it's the referee that's pushed them um, or whether he he's just being so bold that he doesn't care and he's just time-wasting off a push from the referee. It was it was a quality moment.
1: It was indeed. Um, Flamengo had David Luiz on their books and uh, Gabriel Barbosa, Gabby Goal, uh, who had a, a little time in Europe, uh, you may recall, also on their books, Taylor, Andreas Pereira on loan from the Manchester United. He uh, might have conceded an error that led to Derrissan's winner in this one.
4: Yes. And was, uh, consoled publicly by a bunch of different footballers, including David Luiz. Uh, yeah, that, that feels like, yeah, you, know, you can take the boy out of Manchester United, but you can't take the Manchester United out of the boy. So the performance there. Uh, and I do feel bad for him because it does end up costing them, as you mentioned, Ryan. Uh, and you would assume he will go back to Man United at the end of the season and maybe have more opportunities under a new manager. If it is uh, Ralph Rongnick, but maybe he ends up with the Lenko and they get, uh, revenge next season. I do love, that team from flamenco—it's so many names of like, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Like you also, in addition to the ones you've already said, I think you had uh, Mauricio Isla on one side and Felipe Luis on the other. That's There's, right. There's uh, the in there, uh, Barbosa. You mentioned it's—it's a—it's a fun flamenco team that also feels like it could be chaos on any given day.
1: Yeah, and a fun game. It was a fun game. This one usually is. uh, actually it wasn't that interesting last time around but hey um this one was good and the stadium looked pretty impressive it was rocking like a hard rock cafe in montevideo this one with the fans going crazy um grim i think we're gonna wrap up the podcast soon but do we want to touch on the ballon d'or i believe it's happening on this day as we record robert Lewandowski finally gets it yay nay the listener probably already knows but what do we think
2: I, I I personally can't wait to see how uh, Lewandowski's overlooked for this year's Ballon d'Or. <laughs> the
1: Ballon rationale.
4: As is customary. <laughs> do you all actually yeah, care? Like, so, no, I, I don't no, mean no. that to be like that sort of takey-take question, but genuinely, I think it's interesting when people do and don't, and I, I have never really cared that much about the Ballon d'Or. It just feels like it's going to be Messi or Ronaldo. That's sort of how it's been. Uh, I'm guessing it will be somebody different this year, but I, I don't really much care one way or the other.
2: Yeah, I mean, my, my take is I... I, I I am so bored of the Ballon d'Or. I feel like it's it was the worst thing about the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry was how it became this this big thing. But hey, I'm doing Eurosports Live coverage of it later <laughs> on. So uh, join me for that. I'm very excited about it all. Wow.
1: <laughs> You've sold us on that one, Graham. Certainly yeah. we'll be heading to Eurosport to check that out. I, I'm with you there. I, it's not, I don't think it's, got a lot of point. I don't like that it takes place at this time of year. And I'd rather it was maybe an end of season thing as well. So I don't know.
3: Joe, any thoughts on Ballon d'Or and how, uh, I don't know, galacante's is going to win it? I mean, that would be that be cool. I, I'm with everyone else. I am not big on the Ballon d'Or. I don't know. How do you decide who the best player is? I feel like that is something that makes my head hurt a lot. Um, Lionel Messi is always the best. I guess that's one way to do it every year. And let's go with that.
1: Let's do that indeed. We have covered off an awful lot of the weekend, gents, in this podcast. We should be thoroughly proud of ourselves. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much. Thank
4: you all very much for being here with me today. And listeners, happy International Daryl Grove Day. Go out and celebrate.
1: Let's do that indeed. Joe, go celebrate. Thank you very much, sir.
3: Thank you, Ryan. And real quick, everyone, I was wrong. NYCFC only hosts the final if it's RSL coming in from the West. So if it's Portland, NYCFC, it'll be in Portland. Don't yell at me, please. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: Thank you for the clarification. I did want to make sure on that one. Uh, Let's root for chaos in that one anyway, Joe. And Graham Ruddman, I root for chaos in your Eurosport coverage of the Ballon d'Or too.
2: (laughs) As I do. Every time I do uh, live coverage for Eurosport. Thank you, Ryan.
1: And thank you, listener. We'll be back with another one soon. Bye!